All right, welcome to TYT Interviews. We've got uh, an interesting ride for you guys uh, today. Um, we are going to talk to Amanda Marcotte. She's senior political writer for Salon. Uh, she's also written the book Troll Nation about uh, Donald Trump and the right wing. Uh, Amanda, there is a lot that we agree with and a significant amount that we disagree with. Uh, and so uh, I was, of course, a Bernie Sanders supporter during the uh, primaries in 2016. You were not. And so. <laughs> that is an interesting conversation uh, that we will get into. Um, but uh, Amanda, I wanted to start with the book, of course, because uh, it's out now. Um, so give me, uh, first of all, welcome. Great to have you Thank here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for coming on. So um, talk to me about the main thesis of the book. Why is it called Troll Nation and what's, what's the main driving point? Well, the main thesis of the book is basically that the American right has functionally lost all the arguments about the economy, about identity politics, about culture war issues, about the environment, you name it. And instead of admitting defeat or coming up with new ideas, they've become bitter, angry, and vengeful. And everything about right-wing politics now is about basically punishing the left for winning the argument, if not necessarily politically. Mm -hmm. And I would say that Donald Trump is basically got elected as an act of revenge from the right. That they voted for him not because they believed in his ideas, not because they thought he had something to offer, but because they thought he made liberals cry more than any other candidate in the Republican primary. Could do, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I think there's a great deal of truth in that, and and I like this quote from Dinesh D'Souza that you put in there. A sentence I've never spoken before, um, <laughs> only because it's indicative. Uh, he said, "One way to be effective as a conservative is to figure out what annoys and disturbs liberals the most, and then keep doing it." And and that's a quote you found from 2002, uh, and yeah. and that seems to be the essence of the party now. So. Of course, a lot of folks will disagree. They'll say, no, conservatives have principles. And since you guys are liberals, you're framing them in all these wrong ways. How do you counter that? Well, I feel if they have principles and they have arguments, then make them. That's literally all I would say. You turn on Fox News or you listen to Rush Limbaugh or you go to Breitbart, and functionally, everything is either a bunch of racist vitriol or a bunch of news stories about how liberals are supposedly hypocrites or liberals are weak or liberals are this or liberals are that. And it's, it's mostly a hate fest. And I feel like while a lot of left-leaning you know, media does the same thing, that it, it focuses on the opposition and kind of talks about them, I feel that's balanced with actual policy ideas, actual discussion about where we would like to see the future of our country. And I don't see that vision on the right. Um, and, and I think that that wasn't always true. I think you even see somebody like a Paul Ryan or somebody feeling like they had an idea of like what kind of policies they'd have, they prefer, and, and they could make an argument about why they thought those policies were better for the country. But ultimately, the public wasn't buying that. And so instead, they've sort of just made it all this kind of tribalistic culture war nonsense. So. Uh, overall, do I agree? Yes, uh, no question about it. And I think for me, uh, one of the biggest culprits here is uh, mainstream media, because they like to call everything even, but it's not yeah. even. Uh, no. So, 
Paul Ryan and the Republicans pretend they care about deficits for decade after decade. I know I used to be a liberal Republican from the Northeast. We would talk about deficits and balancing the budget. Turns out they were lying. They were lying. I figured that out, of course, a long time ago. But here they are, and here they create a $1.9 trillion deficit to help the rich. So you can't call that even. They don't actually have the principle of balancing a budget. It's not true. Now, so and I can go on and on. And you're you're absolutely right. Like about Bob Massey was just on Rebel Headquarters, another one of our shows. He's running for governor of Massachusetts. And we were talking about how Obamacare started in Massachusetts as Romney care. And now Republicans hate it, but it was originally a Republican proposal. So, okay, again, the list is infinite. But on the other hand, I do want to get their voters. <laughs> so, Amanda, is there, is there, let's start that part of the conversation this way. Is there any part of the Republican Party that is redeemable? Any part of their voters that are redeemable? That's a really, really good question. Uh, right now, I feel I struggle believing that that that's so. I mean, I do think that you know only half of primary voters, well, a little more, obviously voted for Trump. Others voted for other politicians, but you have to think about Ted Cruz was number two in line, and he's equally trollish or almost as much. I don't really see them backing any politician that has anything to offer besides these kind of gross tribal politics. So, you know, just looking at what they want and when they've been given choices within their party, what they're drawn to, I feel like conservative voters want what they want and and we can't we're not going to be able to manipulate them or talk them out of wanting what they want. I mean, any more than they're going to be able to manipulate us and talk us out of what we want, right? I mean, I, I think that that's where I struggle with this, which doesn't mean it's hopeless. I think that the argument I would make and do make in the book is that you can organize around them. And I, I, I think when I filed the book, I didn't really have a lot of good examples. I felt like I could point to in the months since I, I think a few more have cropped up that show that the left is actually starting to organize without them, without worrying about them, and just going around them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, I think that there is a, a semi-significant branch of Republican voters, not politicians, um, that actually do care about economic populism, and they are really, really frustrated. Don't get me wrong, they've been led in the wrong direction. So they get frustrated and they think, oh, it's the Mexicans, right? Um, and Sometimes I feel like we break through a little bit when we say, now, is you think the system is rigged? Yeah, yeah, it's rigged. Do you think it's the guy who just crossed the border without a dime in his pocket? Or do you think maybe it's someone who's really powerful, like maybe on Wall Street or something? And they go, well, yeah, yeah, probably Wall Street, I mean, probably the powerful guy, not the powerless guy, right? And so I think that economic populism is at least a pathway. What's your take on that? Well, we know that a significant number of voters who voted for Trump, but also voted for Barack Obama, much has been made out of that, even though the major, like by far the majority of voters stay with one party in and out of elections. And I don't want to overestimate that. But I think that you can chip them off, but you can't do it with arguments, if that makes any sense. 
I think what we have seen is that a there is a percentage of very racist or at least racially inspired, if you want to be gentle about it, voters who when when you know, when worse comes to worse, when the the poop hits the fan, I don't I don't know if I can curse on your show. Yeah, it's okay, yeah. <laughs> when the shit hits the fan and they, they're really afraid that things are about to collapse on them, they will, you know, turn around and vote for a Democrat. Like I think we fail to understand that Barack Obama like won after literally one of the most failed presidencies of American history, right when an economic collapse was happening that rivaled that of the 1929 stock market crash. And there was a percentage of voters who was like, you know what? It's been fun voting for Republicans for years and years and years, but now uh, I want the Democrats to save us, which you know, Obama did. He came in, he stabilized the government, and they're like, fine, now go. And we're going to get back to our culture war politics. And I, I think that that kind of complacency is very difficult to argue around because it's such a reaction to real life politics and real life things that are happening in the world. So look, I battle Republicans daily and uh, and they're not awfully fond of me. Uh, but And I can be quite vituperative. Um, but I, I think that I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are uh, because I think that, you know, as I see a poll today uh, just out from NBC, Wall Street Journal, uh, the tax cuts uh, are polling at 27%. Yeah. Uh, that's just a disaster for them. Uh, their yeah. Obamacare repeal proposal polled at 17%. The, these are real numbers that, I mean, and they have real consequences. They keep thinking that Donald Trump was so unpopular and he won anyway. And that there's some sort of magic bullet, and that they figured out some magic to no. He now this is getting into our disagreement, but he just happened to run into the most unpopular candidate in American history. That's why he won. He was sitting at 37 percent approval rating on the day he won the election. There's no magic. They're going to get crushed in 2018, and they're going to get obliterated in 2020. I, I definitely hope so. Uh. I don't disagree with you that a lot of Republicans agree with Democratic policies and left-leaning policies, but that's always been true. And they vote for Republicans anyway. And I, I think a lot of my book is asking that question, why? And I think the answer is not that they're stupid or not that they're misled necessarily, but they just don't consider saving Medicare as, as important as sticking it to liberals. I think that there is some, yeah, there's definitely truth in that, uh, unfortunately. I mean, and, and look, last thing on that, I think, is it's become part of their identity. And anytime you touch someone's identity, that's the third rail. So yeah. whether it's a religious identity or now their political ideology and identity built by years of, you could say marketing, you could say brainwashing by Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, etc. So that's why they're actually more touchy about that stuff, and it takes near ruin for them to question their identity. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. And I think that the left is, you know, missing something if we think that identity and these kind of culture war issues mean less than economics. I mean, it should mean less, you know, don't get me wrong. Like you could rationally speaking, whether you have health care or whether you can make the rent or whether you're making enough money or whether you have a social safety net to fall back on. 
these are all objectively and rationally more important issues than what some NFL player is doing that you don't like or makes you uncomfortable, right? And yet, what what actually moves people, what actually genuinely gets them out of bed and gets them to the voting booth and what, you know, gets them all geared up? And unfortunately, on the right, at least, I think we have a lot of evidence that they are more worried about rich black men taking a knee during a sporting event than they are about, you know, what's going to happen to their social security. Or maybe, you know, in part, they they think Republicans would never touch their social security. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. So look, in some ways, I'm more conciliatory and believe that we could build bridges and take some of those voters and not in a hostile way, but actually show them the light and show them, hey, we're actually uh, the ones uh, fighting for the policies that you actually care about. Uh, and in another way, I believe we can win the culture wars and uh, go towards destroying their identity. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm harsher in that sense because I think that their identity built around uh, being afraid of the others is is not a positive identity. I, we can we can do better than that in this country. That you could have a positive outlook on life, not built on fear. Um, but it's gonna take a while. <laughs> yeah. Right, so Amanda, let, let's have fun. Let's go to our disagreements. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it pains me to even read this quote from you, but uh, I'm gonna read it and then, and then you tell me um, why you said it um, or what you meant by it. Uh, Sanders promised that his message of economic populism would awaken the masses turned out to be a giant whiff. He didn't raise voter turnout or woo Republicans over. He didn't even woo independence over. Wasn't that Hillary Clinton's job? Well, during a primary, right? I mean, yeah, but I mean, it, I are you talking about the primary there or the general election? Because why? You, how do you get Republicans over in a primary? I, I would have to know the date when I wrote that. Honestly, I write a lot. But yeah, don't worry <laughs> about it. Just give me a sense of. Uh, I, I don't need you to defend that particular quote, but give me a sense of what what your concerns about Bernie Sanders were? Well, uh, you know, uh, my biggest problem with Bernie Sanders and, you know, if I was going to say, I like a lot about Bernie Sanders. I want to be super clear about that. I think that got a lot lost in some of the anger during the primary. I liked that he he pushed large scale programs that also address middle class concerns as well as you know, just means testing, you know, for poverty programs. And I, I think that Obamacare was meant to be such a thing and unfortunately got trimmed back in ways that have made it less successful than it was supposed to be. So there's a lot I like about Bernie Sanders. What I think didn't move me about him was that I do think he was a true believer in that kind of Thomas Frankian view that these kind of culture war issues that you know I focus on and write about a lot are irrelevant and can be talked through you know with economic populism and i I really wish that that was true um, but I don't feel that it's true in my long experience, both in just as a journalist but also having grown up in in the white working class community that has gotten so much attention in the past, you know, two years. 
Yeah, so to me, I mean, look, there's the politics and there's the policy. And so when you just look at the politics, I kept reading those polls showing Bernie Sanders with much bigger leads against the Republicans than Hillary Clinton had. And it was not one, it was many, and it was over and over. And what I saw out of that was, other than science, in fact, was that he was reaching some independence in a way that that could have won them over. And the way that he was reaching those independents was saying, look, your wages are stagnant and you're right. And the system is rigged and you're right. And so here's how we're going to unrig it. Can you see now having passed the election, you see the populism that that one Trump election that continues to this day. Do you think that that argument had merit? No, and I, I kind of resent comparisons between Trump and Sanders because I, I feel like that discredits Bernie Sanders, honestly. I, I, I don't think mm-hmm. they're anything alike. Like, you know, Bernie Sanders wrote, you know, ran a positive, you know, campaign about lifting people up. And that was a good message and it got a lot of people on board. I have no argument with that. I don't understand why people compare him to Trump because Trump ran a purely negative campaign that was about putting people down. And I I don't see the comparison. I think Sanders is polling against Republicans during the primary was unfortunately the result of the fact that he was an unknown factor. And nobody was interested in driving up his negatives during the primary. Hillary Clinton wasn't interested in going negative on him because she, I think, understandably, just in a pure practical sense, realized that that was going to backfire on her in the general election, that all it would do is make people hate her that were Democratic voters that had supported Sanders. And I think Republicans were disinterested in running negatives on him because they wanted him to beat Hillary Clinton because they thought he was going to be easier to beat in a general election. And I think because he had no negative campaigning against him, because he was an unknown, people just didn't have a reason to dislike him. And unfortunately, I think we have discovered that dislike is a very powerful effect in politics. And I I don't, I, I can't say, I really wanna be very humble here and say I have no reason to believe that Sanders would have been better or worse in the general than Clinton in terms of that. But I I also think it is absolutely true that his approval ratings would have started going down the second he nailed that nomination, because that's when the Republicans would have unrolled the socialism and other negative attacks um, playbook. Would it have worked? I don't know. But that's what they would have done. Yeah. He had a 12 point lead on Trump on on election day. I agree with you, they didn't run negative ads. Of course, that makes a big difference. But that's a sizable lead. Even if they'd knocked that down by three quarters, he still would have won, probably. But we'll never know. We'll never know. So let's talk about policy. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything in the Sanders policy proposals that that you, you object to or don't agree with? So this is a really interesting question because I think a lot of people misunderstood where a lot of Clinton supporters were coming from in that way. I honestly think that Sanders' healthcare proposal, if anything, is to the right of what my ideal preferences would be in terms of healthcare policy. I think single payer has a lot of problems with it, and I would rather see something like a national health services that I think would better address the needs of the United States. 
I think some countries do well with single payer. I think we would have actually done better with, you know, actual government run healthcare (laughs) as opposed to, you know, this kind of, we pay for everything in this sort of like lack of cost control situation that we have. Um, I don't think I would have held that against him. And I'm, I'm really glad that I, more Democrats are signing on to single payer, but I really wish we saw more aggressive discussion about what it would actually do, what we actually need to do to make healthcare affordable, because I didn't feel that that was being done. Um, you know, free college for all is a good idea. I think that I there's a lot of other things I'd rather see be done with education. But again, I understand why he ran on it. I don't. I really don't have a quarrel with him on that. It really wasn't any of his like big meaty ideas that I had a problem with. It was much more that I didn't feel he was experienced and and, and generally broad enough in his vision for this country. You know, I, I, and I think he ran not intending to, to win when he first ran. So I didn't have a problem with him in that sense. And he just wanted to inject his ideas into the campaign. And I think it kind of, you know, took off in this way that even he was a little surprised by. So um, it, that was really all it was. Right. So Amanda, now some of those ideas are beginning to win in the Democratic Party. Uh, a lot more people have signed on to the Medicare for All bill in the House. Uh, and, and now we even have Gillibrand and Booker saying they're not gonna take corporate PAC money, uh, which is would have been stunning a couple of years ago. Uh, it's still a little stunning today. Uh, so uh, now as they probably gear up, very soon in 2019 for another run. Would you consider supporting Bernie Sanders? No, I mean, I think ultimately for me, it's, I mean, obviously if he won the nomination, but I do think ultimately for me, it's very important for me to be a Democrat and to support the party. And and I, I believe that the best way to do electoral politics in the United States is to be committed to the party and agitate for better policies with outside organizing. And I think that Sanders just, he, he won't join the Democratic Party. And it's a very hard hump for me because, <coughs> excuse me, it's important to me to sort of work together and, and to be a team player in that way. I don't know why that matters so much. Uh, I really don't because maybe because I wasn't a Democrat when I was growing up. And so it, to me, it feels like having a D on your helmet. Who cares? I care about their ideas. So uh, I don't know why you care so much. Well, the president of the United States is the head of the party. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important role that the president plays. And they also need to be committed to down ticket races. They need to be committed to helping people get elected. And I think one of my biggest per- criticisms of Obama, honestly, was that I didn't feel that he did enough of that when he was in office. And I definitely don't think that somebody who does not identify as a Democrat is someone I trust to be committed to that very, very important goal. And if we're gonna get progressive policy passed, we gotta elect more Democrats. That's just all there is to it. And yeah. you know, I understand that institutions have problems. I would be the first to say institutions have problems, but I think of it's better to think of institutions as these kind of inherently problematic things that we nonetheless need and therefore we kind of 
teach Democrats to, you know, back the the policy ideas that we like by organizing outside of the party for that. Yeah, but uh, it's not like Bernie Sanders goes around endorsing Republicans. So he um, almost always uh, endorses a Democrat and and certainly endorses the most progressive person in the race. And and you're, you're certainly right about Obama. I mean, I would go further. I think he was a miserable failure in supporting the Democratic Party. Uh, we lost over a thousand seats uh, when he was president all across the country. We lost the House, we lost the Senate, we lost to Trump. Um, I think he was actually incredibly selfish in that regard. Would I take uh, Bernie or Obama in building up the Democratic Party? Bernie in a landslide. I just don't see any evidence that he is committed to building the party up besides endorsing some people that he personally likes or feels advances his agenda, even if I agree with his agenda in a lot of ways. And I think that that's unfortunate because the party has a lot of ability to help people get organized and get you know people out and get people supported in a way that this kind of, I, you know, this sort of like ad hoc politics just does not have. All right, last couple of things here. When part of the the issue that Bernie has and I have with supporting Democrats, carte blanche is some of them are terrible. <laughs> They're corrupt. They take corporate money <laughs> and and they largely serve their donors. So I don't want to yeah. help those guys. No, and I think that we, it's, I'm super thrilled to see so many people running for office uh, in 2018. I'm glad to see vigorous primaries, and that's, I feel the mechanism for dealing with that particular problem. Um, and, and it's not just corporate donations. I mean, I think that's the issue here is we have a very diverse coalition, and different people have different things that they are worried about. You know, corporate donations are bad. You know, but I think a lot of people, for instance, you know, would take it bad, take it as a a bad thing if you were against gun control, or if you supported restrictions on abortion rights, or if you didn't take police violence against black people seriously. Or there's a whole host of issues that get called identity politics that I think are legitimately important to people as well, and. You know, they also have a right to sort of prioritize that in a primary system, and I think that that's the best way to to do this because it's it's honestly the pl- only place we're doing politics the way I think we would all like politics to be done these days, which is actually having you know a, a discussion about ideas and, and kind of putting it up to a vote and letting the best ideas win. All right. So the um, last thing is. If we were having the election today, do you have a sense of who you would like uh, as a Democratic candidate? Oh God, I should have known you'd ask me that. <laughs> um, I like a lot of people in the caucus. I mean, if I had if I had my heart's desire, it would be Elizabeth Warren in a heartbeat, right? She's hmm. the best, like by far. I think she's just so smart and she's experienced and she. She cares about the right issues. I think she understands these economic policy issues better than literally anyone. And I certainly think better than Sanders, if I'm being honest. Um, I, 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 I admire the fact that she really realized consumer protection issues um, 
have been left behind and need to be kind of in the center of a, a financial, you know, reimagining of, of financial and economic justice in this country. That's that's where my heart's desire is. I feel like she's not running though. Yeah, so you know, I'm I'm actually significantly relieved. <laughs> we're 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 not that far apart. I think Elizabeth <laughs> Warren's fantastic. Um, so um, if she doesn't run, it's probably because Bernie will run, and it's it's going to be very hard to outflank Bernie on the left. Um, but we'll see. I have no idea, and she'd be a terrific candidate. And oh, match. Let us whisper of a dream for a second. Even if she wasn't <laughs> the candidate, imagine. Treasury Secretary Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if, if well, we got to elect Democrats in the House, and Senate for that to happen as well. I hear you, sister. <laughs> okay, Amanda Marcotte, the new book's Troll Nation. Uh, everybody, check it out. Uh, thanks for joining us. We, we appreciate for it. Me. I appreciate it.